0: You're listening to the Slavic Literature Pod, your shelf-help guide to all things Slavic. I'm Cameron Lalana,
1: And I am Mac Eresomovich.
0: And today we are covering part one, chapter 21 of Vasily Grossman's Life and Fate, moving on to a, a new, new set of characters. In this case, we are talking... About uh, Dementi Turfonov Getmanov uh, and his whole little party. Getmanov is about to go to the front lines as the commissar for a tank corps. Uh, he's going to be serving under our old friend Colonel Novikov, who, if you were just starting out with Life and Fate, you are not familiar with, but he is a big character for uh, from Stalingrad. He's going to become very important to the Shaposhnikov family as he is uh, he and uh, the youngest Shaposhnikov, Gen- well, the youngest of the of Alexander's daughters, I guess, Zhenya. Uh, is uh, sort of has a will they won't they thing going on with uh, our with our friend in Novikov, so they are having a party or these his uh, this Getmanov's friends uh, and we should mention that Getmanov is a the party secretary of a of a region of Ukraine which is now under control of the Germans which is why he's being reassigned so his other powerful party friends as well as his wife's brother and his wife is also there but she's just kind of as a commentator occasionally uh, are having a, a send off party for him and it's a very uh, this is an examination of, you know, party life, of what it means to be, uh, in Russian, party-nost, uh, party you know, party-minded, and uh, it it goes in a lot of interesting directions in what that means. Is there anywhere that you wanted to start in particular? There's a lot of discussion on this one today.
1: Yeah, there was a lot of discussion on this one today. Um, I just thought that it was interesting that we saw our first real, like, party character, and not the... I am a prototypical Soviet man. I'm a strong, you know, peasant that now understands politics. But just this sort of, like, moldable human who really stands for nothing. Um, This sort of person that, I don't know, he's very snake-like. This sort of, everything that he says or that everybody says to him is sort of, like, everybody's aware of where that line is with him with you know what you can say to be polite and social but not um get yourself exiled or sentenced to hard labor uh basically and it's just a a much different relationship that he has to his friends than a lot of the other people there's none of this sort of a lot less certainly of this sort of organic natural social conversation It feels much more planned um then when the the gossip is mixed in it just seems very weird and strange
0: Right, exactly. Uh, but you do have, you have this moment of tension where his wife's brother happens to mention, as they're talking about children, uh, some of whom were st- serving in the front line, that, is, you know, oh, isn't it bad luck that, you know, one of Stalin's sons has been captured? You know, everyone immediately goes <laughs> silent. And, you know, because the guy is like, uh, well, you know, it's, it's funny because the Germans saying he's, he's speaking, but obviously he wouldn't give up anything. I mean, he's Stalin's son. And that just digs him into a deeper hole. And because, as the text mentions, they're there for a party and not to, you know, out to get him, they decide to let it go, which obviously opens the door, to <laughs> for those who they are out to get. Uh, and I, the line, I wish I had it written down, but it's something like, you know, the, the man, the his the wife's brother, he understood that this would be overlooked, but it would not be forgotten.
1: Yeah, that was really menacing. Yeah. There were a few of those where I was like, ooh.
0: Yeah. Which, I mean, this whole chapter... I think, and as people read it, does come off right because we a, a little menacing because everyone here, most of the people at that party, strictly hold to party nos, party mindedness. Getmanov has a whole two pages on how basically party mindedness means that regardless of what he feels or he likes or he wants, he must subordinate his whole life, everything he does. To that party mindedness and everything must be to the party line so even if he happens to like a book and it goes against the party or the party turns against the book he must immediately denounce it and goes on to many other two uh, options the the choice of a favorite book to denouncing it feels a little pointed considering grossman's history with the sudden denunciation denunciations of his book. yeah yeah
1: <laughs> although it's something that a lot of people or a lot of authors would have grappled with struggles with as well not just grossman but yeah it does um and that's mention, our magnetogorsk counter is officially at one for the book so far
0: <laughs> ring 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 magnetogorsk. do you want to explain what, I, I think a lot of people who are listening may not know what magnetogorsk is you which you want to you want to tell them what it is it's a city
1: nothing special except for the fact that it was uh modeled on some of the u.s steel producing powerhouses uh one of them i think is pittsburgh but that's bad 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 more importantly, a much more beautiful and well-renowned U.S. city that pe- more people care about. Uh, Gary, Indiana uh, was one of the <laughs> cities that it was bottled on, uh, at least according to a brief Wikipedia search that I did a few months ago. And ever since then, it has become a pretty big podcast meme for us. Uh, so we we love to see some Magnetogorsk representation in our literature.
0: We do love to see it. Also worth noting, Magnitogorsk was like the number one steel producing city in the whole U.S.S.R. until like the 80s when the environmental destruction kind of caught up with it so not great for them there's a great book about it called steel 10 ussr by stephen kotkin who covers it maybe we'll talk about it another time but magnetogors mentioned also speaking of khrushchev mentioned it's their first this their first uh glimpse of the boy
1: it's a big mention chapter
0: pretty long one
1: actually uh c- comparatively i mean it's i don't it's not really that long it's maybe like 10 pages or so but it kind of. I feel like next week we get a much more sort of staccato kind of, this is very quick next right. week. There's some longer ones, but for the most part, they're pretty short.
0: Mm. Well, much like maybe for some people at that uh, at that dinner party, it feels interminably long because they have just made yeah. They're going to sit in that. We were also stuck in this and we can't leave. Yeah, um, absolutely. And so I want to go to a couple of reader comments here. The first one to start off with was kind of covering uh, what we've already spoken about. This one's from a Discord user. Uh, The Bookworm Stories, who says, I must say that the writing in Life and Fate sounds much more liberal than the one in Stalingrad. Stalingrad was a lot more shackled in its criticism of anything Soviet. Uh, Yeah, this is exactly true. Very different novels here. One is for publication. The other is intended for publication, but I think at a certain point, (laughs) there's pretty clear that wasn't going to happen.
1: Yeah. I mean, it is what it is. What are you going to do about it?
0: Uh, Well, as another Discord user, Sally, said, womp womp. Womp womp Uh, womp indeed. (laughs) I also wanted to go to uh, Discord user Leia, who says, There's a lot going on here. The thing that struck me most relates to this line on page 102. But Getmanov knew that there was a higher form of party spirit. A true party leader simply didn't have personal likings or inclinations. He loved something only because, and only insofar as, it expressed the spirit of the party. That ends the quote. These party apparatchiks are meant to be entirely subsumed by the party and dedicated to its perpetuation throughout all aspects of Soviet life and culture yet they are all sentimentally attached to their children. Like all their joy in life, this is a quote, depended on their uh, tanachkas and vitiliques and had good color in their cheeks, whether their Vladimir's and Ludmilla's were getting good marks at school. Uh, That ends the quote. The cynical part of me reads this as a patriarchal thing where the fathers see children as an extension of themselves, but there is genuine affection here. Like all their repressed feelings and opinions and inclinations of these party men uh, has been transferred onto their children. And I think that's a great point, bringing up that Whereas everything is party notes to these men except for exactly as Leia notes when they get to their children and then it becomes very personal then it's like a, it's a matter of pride and however you want to read that depends on your reading but that I, I think that's a great point where that suddenly all this where it still disappears.
1: Yeah I'm not going to hammer home because we're going to talk about this either tomorrow or t- the next day there's well I think it's tomorrow but. There's there's another chapter which is that kind of goes into this a little bit more, but it, it's a good thing to to mention because this is a, obviously one of these not exactly hypocritical but a, a contrasting moment between how you see these sort of ironclad party leaders and then how they interact with their family or their children. It's it's completely different, and to kind of reconcile that is difficult, as are many of the things to reconcile in this book.
0: Yeah, exactly. Uh, I did have one last one i to just touch on briefly, I'm not going to get too much into it because we went pretty far into it in the discord today and another discord <laughs> user Dominique mentions, uh, you know, on page 109, we have someone, uh, one of the people attending the party, Sigaiduk, uh, speaking, who, who is heads up a department of journalism or heads up kind of journalism in the region. Uh, am I off, entirely off base in saying that his idea of journalism is actually propaganda? And I mean that in the modern definition, which has a negative connotation, not the true definition. And I'm not going to go over everything I said in this because uh, I maybe went a little overboard in it. Uh, I don't think so. <laughs> but as as someone who is very interested in the early Soviet Union and also works in journalism, um, uh, I think there is, relevant to life and fate here. Uh, what what uh, Sakaydov is Sagaidav is talking about is uh journalism as a form of and yeah it's true i mean propaganda is the best word for it uh propaganda for raising class consciousness it's uh something which uh as it's mentioned he is not reporting on things to get what's happening in the world out there he's reporting on something to uh advance like everyone else party party mindedness uh, among readers and so you might look at that and say yeah that's obviously propaganda but i think there's also you should Something to consider it in is within its historical context of, you know, uh, when the Bolsheviks were an early party, um, the idea, the feeling was that extant press organs were a tool or at least being used or were um, biased toward you know, uh, ruling institutions um, and industrial institutions. And so the idea that Lenin puts forth in, in several writings, uh, we covered what is to be done, which is all about organizing an all-Russia newspaper, as he calls it. Um, it's about using that as a tool for advancing the the will and the objectives of the party. And this is being used in the in that view is the same way in reverse, basically. Um, and also, Roseman himself would have come up against some of these issues where, you know, he's a frontline reporter, and he's talking to people, and he often gets to a lot of uncomfortable things. Not things that are necessarily inherently uncomfortable, but if you're like, You know a general you may not want a truly you i mean even you know now i don't think any army any army general would want like someone to be just like writing down what their soldiers are doing because you know you got a bunch of primarily bored young men today also young women as well they tend to get up to stupid things or just do things which don't sound great out of context uh you know outside of like this little group of friends having fun so grossman's writing about that he's on the front lines he's not submitting uh he has to submit when he gets back to a place where he can send reports back Unlike, say, uh, you know, H- an HQ reporter who stay with the general staff get to learn these big, um, so you know, important news. Where are the troops? How is it going? You know, and it sounds really nice and respectable. And they always send their stuff in on time because they're right there at the, or, you know, however they're sending it back. So this is something that Grossman would have would have was certainly have been running into in his own time as a, as a journalist. And um, you know, when when Dominique, because you kind of asked later on. Am you know, I off base? At, like, is Grossman throwing shade at, at the work he had to do? And um, yeah, I kind of. I, I you can read that a lot of ways, and you can go a lot more into that. And we do talk about it in the server, but um, yeah, this could be an expression of frustration with um, the way he wanted to do his work and the way that people liked his work. He was very popular for what he did, but not necessarily with um, you know people who had to manage people necessarily, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, the journalism debate is too extensive for this episode. There's it's like the way that the Soviets conceptualized journalism was much different than what we, you know, think of now. We think it's a great bold point to point out that something we consider something propaganda, that something has a bias, whereas the Soviets disregarded that entirely because they just figured, yeah, everything has a bias. We may as well just do our bias. Yeah, exactly. And just, you know, <laughs> throw it all out there. <laughs> um so you know they were kind of ahead of us in that way i guess <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah and yeah a we'll have to say there
1: there is it's really interesting i like this topic too but it could be its whole it's, its own whole episode probably
0: yeah My well friend, one day we'll get there one day <laughs> <laughs> all right well i think that's probably long enough for now we have gone over a lot today i'd say so all right sounds good to me all right well in that case uh when will we see the people again matt
1: uh, I well, I don't know if when I'll see you, but you'll definitely hear from us again.
0: That's true. Tomorrow. Well, only uh, you may not know when Matt will see you, but Matt certainly knows when he'll see you.
1: Goodbye, <laughs> <laughs> <Get back here>. Kevin. <laughs> <laughs>